0: Good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. Good Please uh, turn to your Bibles on Psalms 30, verses 10 through 12. Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me, Lord. Be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, to the end that my glory may sing praise to you. And not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Amen. Good morning. Um, I'll be reading from John 5, uh, 24 and 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my, my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Really glad you're here this Sabbath. Our pastor is not here. Uh, He is heading up to Monterey Bay Academy to take Brennan up to school. And if you ever have the chance to go to Monterey Bay Academy, um, you might want to stop through the ad building because there's a picture that's hanging with the class of 1982 that has given friends of mine much enjoyment and amusement for over 25 years. (laughs) So if you're ever in the neighborhood, you really must stop by. Well, Pastor Greg may not be here this morning, but his series lives on. In his Bible 101 uh, series this summer, he's been walking us through stories of faith and deliverance. And today we're going to look at another one. Now, it's one I bet most of you know, but there's so much more to this story than the first thing that comes to mind. Like friendship and courage and hope and disappointment and compassion and mission. It has not one but two damsels in distress and it has a hero with a bewildering sense of urgency. It's a story of faith shaken, of faith forged, and of deliverance that's delayed. It has an unexpected beginning, an unforgettable middle, and an unwritten ending. And it starts with a cry for help. So if you want to follow along, turn to John 11. We'll be jumping in and out of verses. I won't stop and let you know which verse we're in, but if you just open it up to John 11, we'll be bouncing back and forth. You'll have a pretty good idea when we're getting into the scripture text now a man named Lazarus was sick he was from Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha this Mary whose brother Lazarus now lay sick was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair so the sister sent word to Jesus Lord the one you love is sick Mary and Martha and Lazarus were Jesus's close friends now I'm Sure, I'm convinced that Jesus had a lot of people who were very curious about him, but I don't know that he had that many friends. He wasn't a homeowner, so he relied on the hospitality of others, but he was um, benefited more than just having a roof over his head in the Bethany home of Lazarus and Martha and Mary. Here Jesus could rest from his 24-7 job. Here he could um, benefit from the warmth of the friendships that he had, but also escaped the cold stares of all those people who were watching every move he made, just trying to trap him on one or two items. Now, Lazarus' his good friend was sick, and the sisters knew just what to do. They would send a messenger to Jesus, who was across the Jordan, and tell him, Look, Lord, your friend is in trouble, and he needs your help. Jesus had healed so many people That he didn't even know, certainly he'd raced right on over to Bethany to save one of his good, good friends. That's what heroes do. They arrive in the nick of time to save the day. And I can hear a heroic theme like one from a movie score. So I wonder, I saw Brett earlier. Is Brett Perry here? All right. Now I know Brett would compose one that's a lot better than what i'm hearing in my mind, but i I hear this uh, like jesus' theme starting to build, and it might go Dun, doo-doo-dun, doo-doo-dun, And the healer is going to go save his buddy 세�idum, And <spindly> the sisters ha- wait <emission ou> <simply> the <resso》> Sara- and they watch, and Lazarus fades. Hang on, brother Jesus, Jesus is coming. <noun formations diesen a-át-tube> <muchastically> But Jesus doesn't come. And his good friend dies. What kind of hero is this? What kind of friend is this? Where was Jesus when Lazarus needed him? Now, if I asked you how many people have experienced disappointment, I bet I'd see a lot of hands. Let's find out if I'm right. How many of you have experienced disappointment? Okay, all right. Now, I grew up a Rams fan, <laughs> so every winter, disappointment was hand-delivered in the playoffs by either the Vikings or Milton who? The Cowboys. Almost every year, they would beat the Rams in the playoffs, but that disappointment was nothing like the disappointment I felt and experienced when my boyhood team moved out of my city and left the whole town, moved to another city, which is, oh, by the way, where they won their first and only Super Bowl. (sighs) If I asked how many of you have been disappointed with God, I bet I would see fewer hands. But if you were honest enough and brave enough to raise your hand, I would say, join the club. Unfortunately, disappointment is a part of life, including our spiritual lives. And many of yours and my spiritual ancestors have wrestled with questions like, why is this happening to me? Where is God when I need him? Why isn't God doing more to help? How could God let this happen? Think of Joseph. Pastor Greg has just been walking us through the story of Joseph. Think of Joseph languishing in an Egyptian prison. Think of Moses being able to look over into, but not actually go into, the promised land. Think of John the Baptist stuck in a prison cell, wondering if Jesus was the real deal. Think of those who sold possessions and waited for Jesus to return on October 22, 1844. Or flashback just a few weeks ago to the Santa Clarita City Planning Committee meeting. Disappointment will come. It's what happens after the disappointment that matters. In many cases, God has something great in store for us just on the other side of disappointment. Joseph, as we heard last Sabbath, rising to second in command in Egypt. Moses rising to a far better promised land. In some cases, God has to recalibrate expectations. To John the Baptist messengers, he said, go back and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cured the deaf hear the dead are raised and the good news is preached to the poor aren't those the messianic calling cards that isaiah had prophesied about weren't those the words jesus read in the temple from the scroll and then said today these words are fulfilled in your hearing jesus's message to john seems clear if this isn't what you were expecting then what kind of messiah are you looking for blessed are those who do not fall away because of me with their brother in a tomb and Jesus nowhere to be seen, would Mary and Martha fall away? We pick up the story, but with a scene change. Now we're with Jesus and his disciples across the Jordan. Okay. Verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No. It is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Okay. It says, Jesus loved Mary and her sister, and Lazarus. Uh huh, that's more like it. And then he says, Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Do, 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 do. What? He's staying there two days? He's the cavalry, except the cavalry is not going anywhere. The damsels are in distress, and instead of a hero in action, we have an inaction hero. Where's the feel-good in this feel-good story of the summer? And then, just like that, he decides it's time to go. Then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Hmm, hmm. But he doesn't tell them why, and there's just one little problem. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, they tried to stone you. The Jews tried to stone you, and yet you were going back there? Well, yes, they had a point. They're talking about what happened earlier in John 10. If you want to turn back a page, starting in verse 24. The Jews gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you didn't believe. The miracles I do in my father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hands. I and the father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said, I have shown you many great miracles from the father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Well, the leaders would have had a case, possibly, if Jesus were just a man. But their expectations of a Messiah pre- prevented them from believing that Jesus might actually be the one. He might actually be God's son. And although they tried to seize him and kill him, Jesus got away. So now he wants to go back there? Jesus answered. Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. Hmm. I don't know if the disciples understood with Jesus exactly what Jesus was trying to say here, and I'm not really sure that I do either, but I have a pretty good idea it didn't offer them much comfort. So, Jesus told them why he was willing to go back. After he had said this, he went on to, Tell them, "Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I'm going to go wake him up. This is one of the coolest things I think Jesus has ever said, and I hear it again when. The disciples didn't understand what he meant, but because we've heard the story, we do. and the disciples heard the message, they knew Jesus they knew that Lazarus was sick, so they were trying to put two and two together. Hmm. All right. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the disciples thought <clears throat> that he meant natural sleep. So they told. So misunderstanding, understanding Jesus clears it up. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Jesus spells out the plan, raising his friend Lazarus, and the mission behind the plan, which is to bolster their faith. Our friend is dead, and I'm going to wake him up. Who's with me? I can just see the disciples looking around, waiting for someone to make the first move. Would it be the impulsive Peter? How about John the Beloved? James? Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Thomas? Thomas gets labeled as a doubter. But when the chips are down, Thomas steps up. Jesus' little pep talk about 12 hours of daylight didn't convince him. But if Jesus is going to walk back into a death trap, then Thomas was going to be right there with him. Don't we want to be that loyal to Jesus? So Lazarus' friends head to Bethany. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Hmm. Now, what's the latest you've ever been for a big event? An hour? Maybe two hours? Four days. Have you ever been four days late to something important? (laughs) Well, I have. I've been nine days late, but I had a really good reason. I was trying to arrive on the same day that uh, Eric was born. My older brother, Eric, was trying to arrive on his birthday. See, I was supposed to be born on September 15th, but I hung around long enough to be his third birthday present. Now, you talk about disappointment. Instead of whatever toy he wanted for his third birthday, he gets me. Happy birthday, Eric, and no, we're not taking him back. So the hero and his posse walk into Bethlehem four days late, except we're starting to realize that he's not really late at all. It makes me think of the line in the a gospel song, he may not come when we want him, but he's right on time. Yeah. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. I want us to catch something important here, I think. Remember how I said that disappointment will come? It's what happens after disappointment that matters. When we are going through trials and struggling with discouragement, we can go one of two directions. We can go toward God or away from God. Martha and Mary both go toward God. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Martha, Martha, Martha gets labeled as a type A workaholic, doesn't she? But let's be clear, this is a woman of impressive faith. She knows Jesus could have saved her brother's life. And in her grief and disappointment, she still believes anything is possible with God, even if she's not sure what to hope for. Jesus not only comforts her, he lets her know that her faith in him is justified. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. And Martha answers, I know he will rise again in the res- resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and alive. And This is the other one of the coolest things he's ever said. Two of the coolest things for me that Jesus has ever said are in this one story. He said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Martha's faith matters to Jesus. And so does Mary's and so does ours. She answers, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who was to come into the world. Now, how's that for a declaration? Martha's faith may have been shaken, but she still believed in Jesus. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Mary, like Martha, went to Jesus, not away from him in her grief. And let's understand, part of the sisters' disappointment was that they correctly believed that Jesus had the power to help their brother. But while they understood Jesus' power, they did not know his plan. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Jesus seems to be experiencing many emotions There's sadness, certainly, at the grief that he's witnessing with the sisters that he loves. But some translations also use the word anger in here. And what might he have been angry at? It could have been the centuries of human suffering that sin had caused. It could have been in the hypocrisy of some of the people that might have come over from Jerusalem who were outwardly mourning with Martha and Mary while inwardly trying to plot a trap to kill the son of God. Or he may have been frustrated at the stubbornness and hard-heartedness of the people who rejected the gift of salvation that he offered. Then the hero did something that's hard to overstate. Jesus wept. Now this was the verse we all wanted when we were in grade school for memory verses because it was two words. But these two little words have one colossal truth. Even though Jesus was moments away from providing a solution to the problem, he wept. Why? Because Jesus knows what hurting feels like. Isaiah 53 tells us he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. He knows what our pain feels like because he carries it, all of it and it breaks his heart. There's another lesson here for us. Jesus won't steer us safely around every trial that comes our way, but he will go with us through them. He weeps when we weep and rejoices when we rejoice. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once again, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Entrance, Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Four days is significant. Have you caught that that's the second time we've heard that time frame in this story? Many Jews believe that the soul remained sort of close by to the body for up to three days and that it might be possible, maybe, that the person could come back to life within that time period. Do you remember that Jesus had already raised somebody, at least two people, from the dead? Did you remember this? Jairus' daughter, if I'm pronouncing it right, and the widow's son. But in each of those cases... These miracles seemed to happen shortly after their deaths, and skeptics could have either dismissed them or minimized those miracles. This case, four days later, was different. They wouldn't have an easy time explaining away this one. This would be the crowning miracle in the ministry of Jesus. It would provide the most dramatic, compelling evidence that he was who he said he was, that he was the one so many were waiting for. His plan was to raise Lazarus. His mission was to bolster the faith of his disciples, his friends, and give those who were still on the fence one last irrefutable act to help them make up their minds. And he saved the greatest miracle for one of his best friends. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took the stone away. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Do you guys want to hum it with me? <laughs> I hear it. I hear it. Now it's crescendo. Now it's Fortissimo. What was that moment like? I imagine people stood there shocked and speechless and I imagine pretty freaked out. But I can also see Lazarus blowing off that face cloth and looking at his friend with a wry smile and saying, What took you so long? (laughs) And I can hear Jesus saying, Buddy, I'm right on time. Take off his grave clothes and let him go. It would have been hard for Lazarus to move with his body wrapped in these strips, but there's a symbolic as well as practical application to Jesus' words. If there are any grave clothes that hinder us from stepping into the abundant life that Jesus has in store for us, we should shed them. And we may need our friends to help get us out of those grave clothes, or they may need our help, but nothing should hold us back when we respond to Jesus. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. Jesus' miracle paid dividends. It forged the faith of many who now believed in him. But the rescue mission came with a cost. He became a marked man and he would be dead within a few months. And in those dark hours between Friday afternoon and Sunday morning, disappointment and uncertainty would shake the faith of many. But they needed only to remember the words he spoke. We find them in John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. In other words, Jesus is stronger than death. And when he rose from the grave, he wasn't the late Jesus Christ. He was alive and well and greater than ever. His mission didn't end with Lazarus, and it didn't end with his own resurrection. I tell you the truth, he says in John five twenty four and 25, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear... Will live. Jesus has the power and the plan, the power over the grave and the plan that delivers all who believe from death into eternal life. That's what he does for his friends. But we have a power as well, the power of choice. No one, not even Satan, can take away any of the sheep that belong to the good shepherd. But Jesus won't keep any sheep in his fold against their will. God gives us the power of choice, so what's our plan? Will we open up our lives and homes to the great Jesus Christ as a friend? Will we be loyal and follow him even when circumstances don't look promising? Will we hold on to our faith no matter how disappointment batters our hope? Will we share in others grief and joy just as Jesus shares in ours? Will we shed the grave clothes that hold us back from the life Jesus has in store for us? Will we hear the voice of the Son of God and live? If so, then we can join with all those who sing the song of deliverance found in Psalm 30. O Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment. But his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night. But rejoicing comes in the morning. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. That my heart may sing to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. You are the firm foundation, Lord, laid for our faith. Help us to turn to you and not away from you and know that you will go with us through all, through both sadness and joy, and that you have the plan to deliver us from death into eternal life. Thank you in your name. Amen.